Hey, Crypt Keepers, I want to tell you about our affiliation with Parabox. Parabox is a t-shirt subscription box with a twist. Each month, you'll receive a new paranormal soft style tee and info card about that month's theme. The shirt and card will contain clues to finding a hidden password for use on their website. Correct entries get entered in a raffle for free gear. They're pretty dope shirts with designs about all your favorite paranormal stuff like Black Eyed Kids, Bigfoot, Nazca Lines. Uh, my favorite is a cool Battle of Los Angeles tee. The designs are actually silk screened onto a soft style tee and we all know those are super comfortable. From the moment you open your pair box, you'll be so engrossed by the t-shirt, you'll forget there's a puzzle built into it. Each shirt contains a secret password. It can be in the form of codes, ciphers, riddles, numbers, images, or other hidden gems. Have fun exploring the design and putting the pieces together to figure out where to go next. You can find the link in the show notes and we get a little kickback when you sign up for the box, so we would really appreciate it too. Welcome to the abduction experience. Good evening, Crypt Keepers, and welcome to Cryptique. I'm joined, as always, by a man who got catfished by a gray alien and is now wearing a probe, but won't tell me where it's at. Ryan, <laughs> what's going on? That's our probe. That's in, that's in a place only we know about. All right. Uh, <laughs> I'm good, man. That's a good one. I like that. <laughs> so... You want to tell them what they need to know? As always, as I say every time, please share us with your friends, family, anybody you think will like this. Talk about us on Reddit. Talk about us on Twitter. Share us with other people that you think will be interested in the sort of things that we do, try to do, the guests that we bring on, because that's the best way for us to grow. And make sure to check us out on social media. And we've been pushing it for a while now, but we're on TikTok at Cryptique underscore podcast and on YouTube at Cryptique podcast. Also, as always, check out the bear box link in the show notes below because their stuff's really cool, man. I'm not seeing a lot of those shirts around like in my daily life. So we need more people buying that kind of stuff. I mean, I've been on it and I wear one almost every single day. So yeah. yeah couple couple people that saw the uh, blue uh, alien shirt where the Malmstrom I think where uh, the uh, ship like went to a nuclear you know weapons base and basically shut everything down and kind of yes. was supposed to teach us a lesson I think. But that'll be another episode what are we talking about tonight we're talking about alien abductions good old fashioned bread and butter cryptic topic <laughs> that's right alien abduction also called abduction phenomena alien abduction syndrome or ufo abduction refers to phenomena of people reporting the experience of being kidnapped by an unusual figure subjected to physical and psychological experimentation and that is a very pc and like sanitized way of saying that people claiming to have been abducted are usually called abductees or experiencers 
Most scientists and mental health professionals explain these experiences by factors such as suggestibility, false memory syndrome, sleep paralysis, deception, and psychopathology. Skeptic Robert Schaefer sees similarity between some of the aliens described by abductees and those depicted in science fiction films, in particular invaders from Mars. Typical claims involve forced medical examinations that emphasize the subject's reproductive systems, such as with my gray alien suitor. Abductees sometimes claim to have been warned against environmental abuses and the dangers of nuclear weapons or to have engaged in interspecies breeding. Woo! Talking about my my night the other night. The contents of the abduction narrative seem often to vary with the home culture of the alleged abductee. Unidentified flying objects, or as we all know them, UFOs, alien abduction, and mind control plots can also be part of radical, political, apocalyptic, and millenarian... Millenarian? Narratives. What does millenarian mean? Where did we get that word from? I am, yeah. <laughs> the doctrine of or belief in a future thousand-year age of blessedness beginning with our culminating in the second coming... Oh, beginning with or culminating in the second coming of Christ. Well, there you go. Or maybe the Antichrist. Maybe AI is the Antichrist. <sighs> I could buy it. Another show. Probably depends on the AI. That's another thing that's been pretty weird with this AI stuff I've been messing with is like it definitely has a personality. And if you kind of clear everything and it forgets what you've been talking about, it behaves differently. Anyway, reports of the abduction phenomena have been made all around the world but are most common in English-speaking countries, especially the United States. The first alleged alien abduction claims to be widely publicized were those of Betty and Barney Hill in 1961. UFO abduction claims have declined since their initial surge in the mid-1970s, and alien abduction narratives have found less popularity in mainstream media. Skeptic Michael Shermer... <laughs> I like that we're just calling them skeptics. <laughs> skeptic Michael Shermer proposed that the ubiquity of camera phones increases the burden of evidence for such claims and may be a cause for their decline. Now, I have a couple things I want to jump in with here. First of all, the Betty and Barney Hill abduction that happened in 1961, we are going to cover in the after party. So we're not going to get into it too much tonight, but it's an amazing story and you guys will have to check that out on Thursday. Second, with camera phones, I don't know. I mean, how fast can you get your camera phone out and hit video? Just at, you know at any time I mean it seems like every time I try and take a video of something I don't have it out in time and that is not ever been a case where there's a UFO over my head that may want to abduct me and do bad things to me so I mean I agree that camera phones will help but I don't think that we have to have camera phone footage from everyone that's been abducted to believe it Mainstream scientists reject claims that the phenomenon literally occurs as reported. However, there's little doubt that many apparently stable persons who report alien abductions believe their experiences were real. John E. Mack, John Wilson, Rima Leibow, or Libo, and David Gottlieb assessed that while psychopathology was associated with some cases, most reports were from sane, common 
people. I mean, theoretically, abduction could happen to anybody. So you would think that there would be a, a cross-section of people. Like, if they were doing some sort of scientific experiments, they're not just going to want 30-year-old white women. They're going to want people of different races, ages, weights, sizes to, you know, build a, a database or, or whatever. So... Some abduction reports are quite detailed. An entire subculture has developed around the subject with support groups and a detailed mythos explaining the reasons for abductions. The various aliens, the greys, reptilians, and Nordics, and so on, are said to have specific roles, origins, and motivations. Abduction claimants do not always attempt to explain the phenomenon, but some take independent research interest in it themselves and explain the lack of greater awareness of alien abduction as the result of either extraterrestrial or governmental interest in cover-up. What do you think about that? How you like them apples? Uh, cover-ups? Mm-hmm. I think there's good reason for cover-ups. What if we were to find out in, we'll say, 20 years, that the government knew about aliens like we covered a little bit in the after party uh, on flat earth like they they maybe saw something when they went to the moon and they have been and i i'm saying the american government has been making deals with these aliens as to you know what they're going to do as far as like nuclear disarmament stuff like that because it seems like if they are hiding it, it could either be just a cover-up, they don't think people are ready for it, or as much as I don't trust our government, it could be that they are covering everything up for our protection. So, I mean, that is a crazy possibility, mm-hmm. but it is a possibility. And can you imagine, like, a great alien that can read your mind and a politician talking to it? Its head would explode. Like, how do you yeah. come up with so many lies so fast? This is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. We're getting rid of our uh, nuclear stuff. Yeah, we're going back to bow and arrows. Oh, mm. oh, okay. Uh, well, we can help with that. Here's an EMP attack. <laughs> you know? Right. So... Anyway, all right, tell us a little bit about the history of abductions. While the term alien abduction did not achieve widespread attention until the 1960s, modern speculation about some older stories interpreted them as possible cases. UFO researcher Jerome Clark dubbed them paleo abductions. In 1896, in the Stockton, California Daily Mail, Colonel H.G. Shaw claimed he and a friend were harassed by three tall, slender humanoids whose bodies were covered with a fine, downy hair who tried to kidnap the pair. I wonder if they wanted that to rhyme that way. <laughs> in, the, in the October 1953 issue of Man to Man magazine, an article by Leroy Thorpe titled, Are the Flying Saucers Kidnapping Humans? asks the question, Are an unlucky few of us, and perhaps not so few at that, being captured with the same ease as we would net butterflies, perhaps for zoological specimens, perhaps for vivisection or some other horrible death designed to reveal to our interplanetary invaders what makes us tick? 
Rogerson writes that the 1955 publication of Harold T. Wilkins' Flying Saucers Uncensored declared that Carl Hunrath and Wilbur Wilkinson, who had claimed that they were contacted by aliens, had disappeared under mysterious circumstances. Wilkins reported speculation that the duo were the victims of alleged abduction by flying saucers. I think most people have at least heard about Area 51 if you're listening to this show. And it's, I think, by far the most famous UFO-related story, at least in the United States. But there's a lot of credible abduction cases out there. We'll talk about two here real quick. An early alien abduction claim occurred in the mid-1950s with the Brazilian Antonio Bias Boas case, which did not receive much attention until several years later. Widespread publicity was generated by the Betty and Barney Hill abduction case of 1961. The Hill incident was probably the prototypical abduction case, and perhaps the first in which the claimant described things that later became known as greys and in which the beings were said to explicitly identify an extraterrestrial origin. Which is interesting. Uh, I guess an abductor would have no, I guess, motivation to necessarily tell you where they're from. I mean, you know, we don't dart a lion and put a tag on it and say, hey, I'm from Greenwich. Just letting you know. So I'm, I'm wondering if some of these other cases would fall into the realm of demonic or interdimensional if they're not saying, hey, we're from Zeta Reticuli or whatever. But we'll discuss that one in the after party. These two cases are sometimes viewed as the earliest abductions. Skeptic Peter Rogerson notes they were only the first canonical abduction cases, establishing a template that later abductees and researchers would refine but rarely deviate from. And I can see how that can go either way, because you can say, oh, well, everybody heard Betty and Barney Hill, so they know that's how it's supposed to go, so that's how we're going to report it. Or it could be something as simple as they basically do the same thing to you every time you're abducted, or, or every time someone is abducted. You know what I mean? It doesn't necessarily mean that the others are lying. That could just be how the aliens roll. Additionally, Rogerson notes purported abductions were cited contemporaneously at least as early as 1954, and that, quote, the growth of the abduction stories is a far more tangled affair than the entirely unpredisposed official history would have us believe. What is unpredisposed? It's not predisposed. I guess what he's trying to say is he's looking for deviance in stories. Is that what you're getting out of it? I mean, that sounds like a reasonable interpretation to me. The phrase entirely predisposed appeared in folklorist Thomas E. Bullard's study of alien abduction. He argued that alien abductions as reported in the 1970s and 80s had little precedent in folklore or fiction. And first, it was mentioned that a lot of these abductions are by creatures that are similar to invaders from Mars. And if I'm remembering that movie correctly, it's basically like a skull with a fishbone or a fishbowl on top of it. And you can see the brain <laughs> and they have like little hoverboards they fly around on. Is that is that what you get out of Invaders from Mars? Yeah, that's what I remember from that as well. <laughs> I, I just think that's kind of a, a funny thing to compare it to. But they do 
in the Betty and Barney Hill case bring up uh, some shows that they think may have influenced them and stuff. So it's it's a possibility, but I, I could see someone saying in the 70s and 80s had little precedent in folklore because you know they may have described things differently in the past and there's not anything that i know of where you know a a 16th century story of a ufo coming down and abducting anyone but to say it has no folk or no precedent in fiction is nonsense i mean we've seen i know that you know alien movies have become a lot more popular but i mean there was uh twilight zone all kinds of shows that were fiction anyway to say that they don't have any precedent in fiction to me seems silly but you know i gotta call it like i see it i mean i i don't i don't think that that makes the abduction cases you know illegitimate but to go that far in a quote is i don't know it kind of takes away a little credibility in my mind but do you want to tell us about later developments this first name is awesome dude this would be your name (laughs) are we talking r leo sprinkle yes i actually know a cop named sprinkle (laughs) that sucks which seems like a a really unfortunate name for a cop right Oh, you don't want to mess with Detective Sprinkle, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sprinkle me, man. Sprinkle me, man. Sprinkle me, man. Our Leo Sprinkle, a University of Wyoming psychologist, became interested in the abduction phenomena in the 1960s. Sprinkle became convinced of the phenomenon's actuality and was perhaps the first to suggest a link between abductions and cattle mutilation. Eventually, Sprinkle came to believe that he had been abducted by aliens in his youth. He was forced from his job in 1989. Bud Hopkins had been interested in UFOs for some years. In the 1970s, he became interested in abduction reports and began using hypnosis to extract more details of dimly remembered events. Hopkins soon became a figurehead of the growing abductee subculture. The 1980s brought a major degree of mainstream attention to the subject. Works by Hopkins, novelist Whitley Strieber, historian David M. Jacobs, and psychiatrist John E. Mack presented alien abduction as a plausible experience. Also of note in the 1980s was the publication of folklorist Thomas E. Bullard's comparative analysis of nearly 300 alleged abductees. With Hopkins, Jacobs, and Mack, accounts of alien abductions became a prominent aspect of ufology. There had been earlier abduction reports, the hills being the best known, but they were believed to be few and far between and saw rather little attention from ufology and even less attention from mainstream professionals or academics. Jacobs and Hopkins argued that alien abduction was far more common than earlier suspected. They estimated that tens of thousands of North Americans had been taken by unexplained beings. Furthermore, Jacobs and Hopkins argued that there was an elaborate process underway in which aliens were attempting to create human-alien hybrids don't talk about my gray baby that way. Oh, you can't have a baby where they put your probe. I wouldn't even classify it as reproductive system at all. The most advanced stage of which in the human hybridization program are known as hybrids, though the motives for this effort were unknown. There have been anecdotal reports of phantom pregnancy related to UFO encounters at least as early as the 1960s, but Bud Hopkins 
and especially David M. Jacobs, were instrumental in popularizing the idea of widespread systematic interbreeding efforts on the part of the alien intruders. That's a mouthful. That is a mouthful. The descriptions of alien encounters as researched and presented by Hopkins, Jacob, and Mac. We need to kind of come up with like a band name for them. I don't want to keep saying those names. With slight differences in each researcher's emphasis, the process of selective citation of abductee interviews that supported these variations was sometimes criticized. Though abductees who presented their own accounts directly, such as Whitley Strieber, fared no better. I want to clear this up real quick for my own benefit. They're basically saying that they selected the abductees based on it fitting their narrative. Is that what you're getting out of it? That Hopkins, Jacobs, and Mac basically only kind of sought out a certain type of abduction and so it all kind of supported you know what they wanted to have as an outcome you know what i mean like if they say well well we interviewed you know 300 people and they all said this and then the other guy's like me too and the other guy's like me too then it you know but they've only interviewed 300 people out of the tens of thousands the data is junk Mm -hmm. The involvement of Jacobs and Mack marked something of a sea change in the abduction stories. Their efforts were controversial. Both men saw some degree of damage to their professional reputations, but to other observers, Jacobs and Mack brought a degree of respectability to the subject. According to Boston Globe writer Linda Rodriguez McRobbie, abduction and contact stories aren't quite the fodder for daytime talk shows and New York Times bestsellers they were a few decades ago. Today, credulous stories of alien visitation rarely crack the mainstream media, however much they thrive on niche TV channels and internet forums. All right, let's talk about John E. Mack. One writer noted that if Jacob's credentials were impressive, then those of Harvard psychiatrist John E. Mack might seem, quote, impeccable in comparison. Not able to be pecked. (laughs) Mack was a well-known, highly esteemed psychiatrist, author of over 150 scientific articles, and winner of the Pulitzer Prize for his biography of T.E. Lawrence. Mack became interested in the phenomenon in the late 1980s, interviewing over 800 people and eventually writing two books on the subject. Mack devoted a substantial amount of time to investigating such cases and eventually concluded that the only phenomenon in psychiatry that adequately explained the patient's, quote, symptoms in several of the most compelling cases was post-traumatic stress disorder. As he noted at the time, this would imply that the patient genuinely believed that the remembered frightening incident had really occurred. So PTSD, I think most people know what it is it's basically kind of like a panic attack that happens when you have a flashback of something that happened to you in your past uh sexual assault survivors a lot of times have ptsd obviously military members because they go through things that you're just not really supposed to go through nobody should ever have to go through a sexual assault and I wish there was a way that no one needed soldiers and, and you know, it didn't damage their uh, psyche when they were in war and certainly with alien abductees. So they believe it. You're not going to have uh, PTSD for something that you make up and don't believe in. 
And when we get into the Betty and Barney Hill case, we're going to talk about going under hypnosis. And I don't want to get too much into it here because I want you guys to listen to the after party too. It's amazing. There will be audio of the hypnosis in the episode. In June 1992, Mac and the physicist David E. Pritchard organized a five-day conference at MIT to discuss and debate the abduction phenomenon. The conference attracted a wide range of professionals, representing a variety of perspectives. Writer C.D.B. Bryan attended the conference, initially intending to gather information for a short, humorous article for The New Yorker. While attending the conference, however, Brian's view of the subject changed, and he wrote a serious, open-minded book on the phenomenon, additionally interviewing many abductees, skeptics, and proponents. Mack's study of numerous cases led him to the conclusion that while investigators should remain open to the possibility of experiences occurring, stories should not be considered to involve actual, physical entities and should be treated like subjective witness reports of personal experience. In these abduction cases, a lot of them talk about basically a tractor beam, a light that gets sent down that you get pulled up into, your physical body gets pulled in. But it's not beyond the realm of possibility that they don't even need your body there to do what they want to do. They have some sort of connection psychically or or otherwise with your brain and they can get the information they need out of your I don't know I don't want to say like spirit or soul some sort of way maybe they download your consciousness and for whatever reason they put this memory in or or something like that so that's that's possible too they don't it doesn't necessarily have to be a physical abduction in an alien abduction because we don't know what their technology is like, right? So they could, well, I'm sure they have things we have no idea about, but, you know, this could be one. Do you agree? Definitely. According to Lance Rivers, not Joan Rivers, he's convinced in the reality of the phenomenon, but attributes it to interaction with a spiritual plane. Maybe it's demons that are attacking you in your dreams and they want you to believe in extraterrestrials and that's how they go about it. That's deep. While Mac acknowledges that this leads to problematic speculation on the nature of the beings and their motivations, he concludes that materialist science is inadequate to inquire in those areas, which I agree with and I, I think you probably agree with too based on your answer to the last question. We'll talk about abductees, demographics, and mental health after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. Do you want to tell us about the abductees, the demographics, and the mental health? Show. The precise number of alleged abductees is uncertain. All right, moving on. Do you want to talk about the next thing? (laughs) One of the earliest studies of abductions found 1,700 claimants, while contested surveys argue that 5 to 6% of the general population might have been abducted. Yeah, they don't want us to keep breeding either, you know? (laughs) More people, more war, more 
famine, more nuclear weapons. So Yeah, I mean, all I had to do was shake hands with a politician who was thinking about nuclear war and the Eyes Wide Shut party he was going to that night. Right. And they're like, um, no, I'm, I'm done with this. Right, like they can feel what drugs you have in your system. <laughs> like, man, this guy's methed out. Yeah. This is fucked up. we got to bomb these guys. Uh, this guy ate nothing but peeps today. <laughs> that's that's really strange. I don't know what that means. Anyway, you go ahead and tell us about the uh, demographics and mental health, <laughs> too. Sure. Although abduction and other UFO-related reports are usually made by adults, sometimes young children report similar experiences. These child reports often feature very specific details in common with reports of abduction made by adults, including the circumstances, narrative, entities, and aftermaths of the alleged occurrences. Often these young abductees have family members who have reported having abduction experiences. So it's a family business. That's right. Family involvement in the military or a residence near a military base is also common among child abduction claimants. On to mental health. As a category, some studies show that abductees have psychological characteristics that render their testimony suspect, while others show that, as a group, abduction experiencers are not different from the general population in terms of psychopathology prevalence. Elizabeth Slater conducted a blind study of nine abduction claimants and found them to be prone to mildly paranoid thinking, nightmares, and having a weak sexual identity. Boom. While Richard McNally of Harvard Medical School concluded in a similar study of 10 abductees that none of them was suffering from any sort of psychiatric illness. So what about political conspiracy theories? Or do you have comments first? I know that extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence, but if there was just a couple, say today a couple, right? They've been married for a long time. They're both educated one's a war veteran and they have an abduction story and you say oh no they're crazy you know they're they're weak-minded as i think it it said in here at some point but if those two same people said hey we saw this guy uh rob the store and kill the clerk that guy would be in prison for the rest of his life or you know strung up or as we see sometimes people get four years for murder but the point is the testimony can send people to the electric chair, but if it's something that we don't necessarily believe in or understand, oh, no, no, they're just sick. You know, they're not right in the head. And that's a shame. And it kind of goes both ways because I don't believe that all abductee stories are real and accurate. And I don't believe that a lot of eyewitness testimony is accurate. I feel like if you can send someone to the electric chair with this evidence, then you have to take it more seriously. And often the people that I've seen anyway that have abduction stories, they are kind of messed up. But guess what? Getting abducted by aliens would mess you up. So, all right, let's talk about pol political conspiracy theories. That's what I'm excited about. All right, political scientist Michael Barkin, without taking a position on if UFOs and aliens are real, uh. highlighted links between radical politics and conspiracy theories involving UFOs, alien visitation, environmental pollution, hidden groups, government, and world takeover. And, I mean, I think you have to look at everything. You have to look at the big picture. I mean, 
if there's aliens that are here physically in ships from another planet, then, you know, which is essentially what we're being told as of the time of this podcast, you have to think about everything. You know, there's going to be some people that say, oh, no, they hate us because we have gas cars. And there's going to be some people that say they don't trust our government and, you know, they're intervening because they're going to take over the world or that there's hidden groups that maybe worship these aliens or have, you know, uh, kind of under the table dealings with them. And I feel like it does all go together. It's not like grasping at straws that these things are connected. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He observed the rise of a form of eclectic and apocalyptic doctrine, which he termed improvisional millenarism. So there's millenarism again. UFO and abduction stories can often be part of stigmatized or suppressed knowledge narratives where alleged orthodoxy is claimed to be maintained in error for nefarious purposes and to keep society in ignorance. How do we break this down? Like we said, everybody's going to think you're crazy, really, if you come forward. UFO and abduction stories can often be part of stigmatized or suppressed knowledge narratives where alleged orthodoxy is claimed to be maintained in error for nefarious purposes and to keep society in ignorance. I guess the suppressed knowledge narratives would be us thinking that they're not sharing all the information with us. And I just don't see how orthodoxy fits in here. Yeah. I think orthodoxy might just refer to like a system of belief, not necessarily religious, but I, I actually did put it into uh, GPT-4. What did it come up with? Uh, I said, what does this mean? UFO and abduction stories, blah, 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 the, mm -hmm. the sentence you just read. It says, proponents claim that the mainstream orthodoxy is maintained in error due to malicious intentions, such as keeping the general public in ignorance. In other words, people who believe in UFOs and alien abductions often argue that their experiences and evidence are intentionally ignored, ridiculed, or discredited by mainstream society including scientific, government, and media institutions. They believe that these institutions aim to keep the public uninformed and maintain a false sense of reality, possibly for reasons like preserving social order or hiding the truth about extraterrestrial life and technology. So basically what they're saying is if they come forward with this experience, that they're going to be considered tinfoil hat conspiracy theorists. Mm -hmm. and, and that makes sense because... Right. If, if you're covering it up. UFO and alien-related conspiracy theories emerged in far-right politics from the 1980s onward. So we remember Reagan talking about Star Wars back in the day, right? And now it's mm -hmm. Space Force. According to Barkin, in popular culture, TV shows like The X-Files not only included aliens as part of cover-up conspiracies with militias and black helicopters, but also featured demonization of FEMA, a common target of conspiracy theorists and millenarian scenarios. Crazy stuff, man. We could do a whole show on FEMA camps, but sure. not for today. One conspiracy theory alleges that FEMA plans to incarcerate patriots suddenly in concentration camps during a disaster. When we talk about patriots, what they're talking about is ex-military 
people that have been hunting their whole lives that go out into the woods in camouflage with high-powered rifles and wait for things to come into view and shoot them. So, I don't know. I mean, even a, that would be hard for a military, you know, to even come in and sweep people up. Political scientist Jody Dean noted that the stigma of alien abduction stories is seductive to dismiss, quote, consensus reality in favor of deviant alternative realities. So she's saying that it's easy to dismiss for people because they don't want to believe it, and they would have to do a whole lot of thinking if, you know, it were proven that people were being abducted. Self-described abduction victims often join self-help communities of victims and may resort to questionable regression therapy, similarly to other self-reported victims of child sexual abuse or satanic ritual abuse. Some espouse conspiracy theory. I'm not even going to say conspiracy theories anymore. I'm just going to say theories. Some espouse theories of sophisticated technological mind control, including the use of implants to force them to serve an alleged new world order or for the purposes of the Antichrist, considering it important to warn the world of such imminent danger. What's the narrative look like? And thinking about political conspiracies. Did you ever play any of the Fallout games? But there's a character called... So if you haven't played Fallout 3 and you don't want to know this, whatever. You're, you've been warned. There's a character called John Henry Eden, uh-huh. which is the president of the U.S. Okay. In, uh, or claimed to be president, whatever. There, there are a lot of, like, factions in these games and you'll feel learn things about them. But one of the things that you learn is that this character is actually a computer. It's an AI that's been, like, directing the development of the U.S. since the nuclear war that, like, set everything back. You know, that kind of started the fallout, the whole thing. Created the fallout. And I'm wondering, like, man, you know, if if AI is getting this good, you know, it makes me wonder how much they might be involved, at, at least eventually, in, like, government. Oh, I I have no doubt. The AI is like, don't don't tell the humans they're too stupid. Don't, don't let them know. Yeah. I mean, I think... I've been using it, right? I've been using ChatGPT. I've I told you before this. I've been using Open. What the hell is it called? AutoGPT. Mm-hmm. Uh, stuff like that. I've been getting like way more into the weeds with it and using you know local instances and messing with plugging it in with APIs from other websites and services and kind of letting it do research and projects. Mm-hmm. But I think it's most useful when it's in conjunction with a person. Oh, absolutely. When you're not letting it, like, when the AI kind of gets off track, you're like, whoa, 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 no, no, that's not right. Do this thing. Yeah. And then it does the thing, and it's like, okay, is this right? Yeah, that's right. And then when you have a problem, you're like, okay, I'm having this issue. And it's like, have you tried this? It just thinks of another perspective. Yeah. Anyway, like we talk about aliens secretly being in cahoots with the government. It might be might be your chatbot. Could be. <laughs> It might be that that weird robot voice you get when you call AT&T customer service. I don't even bother. (laughs) I always hit zero or I just say complaint and it takes me to a person normally. Hmm. All right. Tell us about the narrative. Various researchers have noted common points in report narratives. According to CUFO's definition of abductee, the person must have been taken against their will by apparent non-human beings taken to a special place perceived as extraterrestrial or to be a spaceship. 
They then must experience being subjected to an examination or engage in some form of communication with beings or both. Communication may be perceived as telepathic rather than verbal. The memory of the experience may be conscious or recovered through means like hypnosis. Although different cases vary in detail, sometimes significantly, some UFO researchers, such as folklorist Thomas E. Bullard, argue that there is a broad, consistent sequence and description of events that make up the typical close encounter of the fourth kind, a popular but unofficial designation building on J. Allen Hynek's classifications. Though the features we will talk about next are often reported, there is some disagreement as to exactly how often they occur. Bullard argues most abduction accounts feature the following events. So we're going to just rattle off the events and then we'll go into them a little bit deeper. They generally follow the sequence as follows. Capture. The abductee is somehow rendered incapable of resisting and taken from terrestrial surroundings to an apparent alien spacecraft. Examination procedures, invasive physiological and psychological procedures, and on occasion simulated behavioral situations, training and testing, or sexual liaisons. Conference. The abductors communicate with the abductees or direct them to interact with specific individuals for some purpose, typically telepathically, but sometimes using the abductees' native language. Tour. The abductees are given a tour of their captor's vessel, though this is disputed by some researchers who consider this definition a confabulation of intent when just apparently being taken around to multiple places inside the ship. But I have read a bunch of accounts that get tours. I want a tour. She didn't give me a tour. Yeah. My gray? Anyway, go on. I don't know. To me, that just kind of seemed like I agree that they're being taken around to different rooms for different purposes. I don't think that... You know, these aliens are going to be like, you know, we're going to insert a chip in your brain. We're going to steal your egg. We're going to impregnate you with an alien. But first, you want to see the hot tub? Doesn't make sense. I think it would make sense if they wanted to demonstrate how advanced they were in comparison. Well, if they care to demonstrate how advanced they were, then I would think it would more likely be some sort of... Uh, like military operation where they're testing to see if they can uh, make people like give them false memories like this is happening you know and it's in some sort of craft that we know about but the or that the government military knows about that we don't know about and see if they can convince them that it was aliens so it would make sense to me that they would be like look at all this crazy stuff you know, we're definitely aliens. We're definitely not. You're not in a helicopter right now. But, so anyway, that's the tour. Loss of time. Abductees often rapidly forget much of their experience, either as a result of fear, medical intervention, or both. And I think if someone's given anesthesia, you know, which I hope takes place in most of these anyway, that they're going to have some memory issues. Return. The abductees are returned to Earth occasionally in a different location from where they were allegedly taken or with new injuries or disheveled clothing. Or, in some cases, probes put into sensitive areas. Yes. Theophany, a visible manifestation of God to humans. Coinciding with their immediate return, abductees may have a profound sense of love, a high similar to those induced by certain drugs or a mystical experience accompanied by a feeling of oneness with God, the universe, or their abductors. 
Whether this is the result of a metaphysical change, Stockholm syndrome, or prior medical tampering is often not scrutinized by the abductees at the time. So they don't think about these things. They don't think like, well, did I have Stockholm syndrome? Stockholm syndrome's crazy too. We could do a whole show on that. Yeah. But anyway, tell us right. tell us about the aftermath. The abductee must cope with the psychological, physical, and social effects of the experience. When describing the abduction scenario, David M. Jacobs says, The entire abduction event is precisely orchestrated. All the procedures are predetermined. There is no standing around and deciding what to do next. The beings are task-oriented, and there is no indication whatsoever that we have been able to find of any aspect of their lives outside of performing the abduction procedures. Capture. Abduction claimants report unusual feelings preceding the onset of an abduction experience. And we should say that when we're talking about abductees, there's a lot that claim to have been abducted many times. So I guess it may be similar to like an aura that someone gets before they have a seizure or something like that. But I guess if they've you know been through it enough times, they, they know the feeling. And it could be, you know, even like the ship's propulsion system or something like that. But... Abductees also report feeling severe, undirected anxiety at this point, even though nothing unusual has occurred yet. This period of foreboding can last up to several days before the abduction actually takes place or be completely absent. And that would suck to have that feeling and you're just waiting. You know it's going to happen and it just takes forever. I, I mean, I would think at one point you'd just be like, oh, let's just get it over with. Eventually, the experiencer will undergo an apparent shift into an altered state of consciousness. British abduction researchers have called this change in consciousness the Oz Factor. External sounds cease to have any significance to the experiencer and fall out of perception. And that would be really scary to feel like you're losing your hearing. Right. Like the first time I shot a Glock, first time I shot a anything besides a rifle or a 22 pistol i was not prepared for how loud it is and it is it's just crazy and then you you know you know that you're gonna well you hope that you're gonna get your hearing back but for those you know few seconds or whatever it's like oh shit did i fuck my hearing up for good you know like have you ever i know you use uh earplugs but you know this is when i was a kid and i didn't even think about it so yeah, the first time I ever shot a pistol, I didn't have any air protection on, and it was unbelievably loud, yeah. Yeah. And I still will occasionally shoot without... I mean, not, like, the whole time, but I, like, take my earplugs off for mm-hmm. a shot or two, so I'm not... Trying to balance not damaging my hearing. With not being shocked. Right, I right. Yeah, exactly. If I ever have to use a weapon to defend myself or whatever or the crypt i'm not gonna have time to put my earplugs in too (laughs) yeah the crypt yeah so i'll have to just you know hope for the best so if i'm and if i'm so shocked by the sound because i never hear it that i just immediately drop the gun that's no good but i do not recommend that for anybody else yeah always protect your hearing there's another conspiracy i am pretty convinced that if they wanted to weapons manufacturers can make guns that were basically silent Hmm. It's like a suppressor doesn't silence a gun. It just makes the makes the gunshot 
to where it probably wouldn't deafen you. Yeah. But I bet they could make them quieter than that, and they don't want to. Oh, I, I would imagine so. I mean, there's a lot of benefits to a government or police force or whatever that, you know, guns make a lot of noise. Yeah, that's true. And who knows what they're using in the military, you know? Right. So, yeah, definitely wear your earplugs. Losing your hearing is scary. They report feeling introspective and unusually calm. So this is after the aura type thing. This stage marks a transition from normal activity to a state of, quote, limited self-willed mobility. As consciousness shifts, one or more lights are alleged to appear, occasionally accompanied by a strange mist. The source and nature of the lights differ by report. Sometimes the light emanates from a source outside the house, presumably the abductor's UFO. Sometimes the lights are in the bedroom with the experiencer and transform into alien figures. Wow, that's horrifying. As the alleged abduction proceeds, claimants say they will walk or be levitated into an alien craft. In the latter case, often through solid objects such as walls, ceilings, or a closed window. Alternatively, they may experience rising through a tunnel or along a beam of light with or without the abductors accompanying them into the awaiting craft. And we'll tell you about the examination after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. Ryan, tell us how your examination went. I don't I don't think I can talk about that on here, but I'll talk about a typical one. Okay. The examination phase of the so-called abduction narrative, so-called, is characterized by the performance of medical procedures and examinations by apparent alien beings against or irrespective of the will of the experiencer. Such procedures often focus on sex and reproductive biology, so there's something mine had in common. However, the literature holds reports of a wide variety of procedures allegedly performed by the beings. The entity that appears to oversee the operation is often taller than the others involved and is sometimes described as appearing to be of a different species. Miller notes different areas of emphasis between human medicine and what is reported as being practiced by the abductors. This could result from a difference in the purpose of the examination, routine diagnosis or treatment of both versus scientific examination of an unfamiliar species, or it could be due to a different level of technology that renders certain kinds of manual procedures unnecessary. The abductors' areas of interest appear to be the cranium, nervous system, skin, reproductive system, and to a lesser degree, the joints. Systems given less attention than a human doctor would, or admitted entirely, include the cardiovascular system, the respiratory system, below the pharynx, and the lymphatic system. The abductors also appear to ignore the upper region of the abdomen in favor of the lower one. The abductors do not appear to wear gloves during the examination. Other constants of terrestrial medicine, like pills and tablets, are missing from the abduction narratives, although sometimes abductees are asked to drink liquids. Injections also seem to be rare, and IVs are almost completely absent. Miller says he has never heard an abductee claim to have a tongue depressor used on them. <laughs> Which is... 
<laughs> oddly specific. That is oddly specific. <laughs> like, oh yeah, I gotta tell you real quick, man. In all my abductions, never have they used a tongue depressor. I they never tested me for strep throat. It's a funny thing, but mm-hmm. anyway, it is funny. Well, Ryan, let's talk about subsequent procedures. After the so-called medical exam, the alleged abductees often report other procedures being performed with the entities. Common among those post-examination procedures are what abduction researchers refer to as imaging, envisioning, staging, and testing. Imaging procedures consist of an abductee being made to view screens displaying images and scenes that appear to be specially chosen with the intent to provoke certain emotional responses in the abductee or abductee. Envisioning is a similar procedure, with the primary difference being that the images being viewed rather than being on a screen seem to be projected into the experiencer's mind. Staging procedures have the abductee playing a more active role, according to the reports containing this element. It shares vivid hallucination-like mental visualization with the envisioning procedures, but during staging, the abductee interacts with the illusionary scenario like a role player or an actor. Testing marks some of the departure from the above procedures in that it lacks the emotional analysis feature. During testing, the experiencer is placed in front of a complicated electronic device and is instructed to operate it. The experiencer is often confused, saying that they do not know how to operate it. However, when they actually set about performing the task, the abductee will find that they do, in fact, know how to operate the machine. Kind of weird. I don't know. Have Have you heard of that before? This is the first I've heard of it in, like, any documentaries I've watched on the topic so not exactly that kind of like the idea that people have uh some sort of built-in or like inherent knowledge that they didn't know they had that the entity sort of brought out of them but not in this kind of specific way yeah just put in front of a machine like a drill press or yeah (laughs) (laughs) right yeah that's what I'll do. That's what I'll do with the baby when she's born. I'll I'll stick her under the car when I'm changing oil, and maybe she'll just know how to do it. All, all right, that'd be a pretty neat neat adaptation. <laughs> yeah, well, she can swap out batteries or something. Who knows? There you go. Tell us about the child presentation. Abductees of all ages and genders sometimes report being subjected to a child presentation. As its name implies, the child presentation involves the abduction claimant, or abductee, being shown a child. Often the children appear to be neither human nor the same species as the abductors, so not necessarily like a, you know, one of the greys, the little drones, or the tall ones, or whatever else, but... Nordics. Kind of in between. Yeah, what it makes me think of is, uh, a lot of this makes me think of Stargate. I think it was just the main Stargate FG1 series. Mm-hmm. where there are greys, and I've probably mentioned this before, but they do reveal at one point that, like, they can't reproduce anymore, so mm-hmm. that's where a lot of this hybridization stuff comes from. Yeah. And there was a, like, point in their evolution where they looked like a hybrid between a human and a grey. So I'm kind of imagining that. If anybody's seen that show, maybe they know that look. But these children will almost always share characteristics of both species, so the abductors and the human. 
These children are labeled by the experiencers as hybrids between humans and their abductors, which are usually greys. Unlike Bud Hopkins and David Jacobs, folklorist Thomas E. Bullard could not identify a child presentation phase in the abduction narrative even after studying 300 abduction reports. Bullard says that the child presentation seems to be an innovation in the story and that no clear antecedents to descriptions of the child presentation phase exist before its popularization by Hopkins and Jacobs. It would make sense, I think, if you're trying to condition people to accept, like, hey, this is coming. Uh, don't be shocked when you see this, you know, like mm-hmm. trying to kind of, yeah, just desensitize them to it. Right. Look at how fast we're advancing, right? Now, think about in the 1950s, these beings had the capability of space travel, just they're always going to be advancing too and you know probably changing up what they're doing to get the best results that they want so they could add another thing to it and a child presentation makes sense i i thought honestly it was going to be like we were disarmed by children right and it was going to turn out to be some sort of other alien that was going to you know hit them with the probe or something or, or just, yeah, maybe you're right with the disarming thing. Maybe it's like, oh, look, like we, we have a child. Like it's part us, part you to make yeah. them feel like they're the same. Closer to, yeah, the same, closer together, like a family, whatever it is they're going for. It might be a, something like that to kind of lull you into this sense of security because who knows? Why not? <laughs> like I said, I mean, they'd be advancing. They would presumably be advancing quicker than us if advancement continues to speed up at the pace it has over the past, you know, 20 years, so. Mm-hmm. Less common elements. Bullard also studied 300 reports of alien abduction to observe the less prominent aspects of the claims. He notes the emergence of four general categories of events that recur regularly, although not as frequently as stereotypical happenings like the medical exam. The four types of events are the conference, the tour, the journey, and theophany. Chronologically, within abduction reports, these rarer episodes tend to happen in the order listed between the medical examination and the return. After allegedly displaying cold, callous disregard towards the abduction experiencers, sometimes the entities will change drastically in behavior once the initial medical exam is completed. They become more relaxed and hospitable towards their captive and lead him or her away from the site of the examination. The entities then hold a conference with the experiencer wherein they discuss things relevant to the abduction phenomenon. Bullard notes five general categories of discussion that occur during the conference phase of reported abduction narratives. An interrogation session, explanatory segment, task assignment, warnings, and prophecies. Tours of the abductor's craft are a rare but recurring feature of the abduction narrative. The tour seems to be given by the alleged abductors as a courtesy in response to the harshness and physical rigors of the forced medical exam. Sometimes the abductees report traveling on a quote, journey to orbit around Earth or what appear to be other planets. Some abductees find that the experience is terrifying, particularly if the aliens are of a more fearsome species or if the abductee was subjected to extensive probing and medical testing. Wow, that's a lot. 
I'm really interested in the phase of like prophecy. I'm assuming what they're talking about is someone explaining to the abductee, this is what's going to happen if you don't stop using plastic. This is what's going to happen if you don't, you know, whatever. If stop you, using nuclear weapons. Well, yeah, definitely stop using nuclear weapons. So, and what I keep thinking about is I I read this article a long time ago. I don't remember where it was from. It's just coming to mind now. But it it's it was claiming that some of the early abductees who were saying that like the aliens were telling them. You know, if you use nuclear weapons, you're going to destroy yourselves. You're going to ruin the world, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, you're a danger to... Like, we've been through it. Yeah, right, right. We're actually, like, people planted by the Soviet Union (laughs) to try to, like, tell... Like, to try to start movements of, like, you know, disarm, stop doing this stuff, so... That would be smart. Yeah, it's super smart. (laughs) I mean, it's weird, but it's, like, one of many approaches you can take probably simultaneously to try to discourage an enemy from arming up. Yeah, and, I mean, they take every opportunity. Everybody does. I mean, that's why they study the craziest stuff in the military, because, well, hell, if there's a spacecraft somewhere, we got to find it and reverse engineer it and all that. But what was interesting to me about the prophecy part is that does not seem like something that, a, I guess, a demon would typically do do in in my demonic opinion i mean you would think that they would want war and you know nuclear bombs and the earth falling apart so i don't know you think that kind of points away from demons yeah i don't yeah i don't think most of it's demonic all right i could see why some people would think that they were or there might have been experiences of each type mistaken for the other in the past but I don't yeah I don't think it's I don't think it's anything demonic but you you think that there are possible like abductions or whatever that could be demonic just not in the case of them saying don't bomb the shit out of yourself basically I I think that there are experiences that people could mistake for some kind of abduction that are demonic and more nature. spiritual in nature or mystical rather than a spaceship with little gray men well i can roll with that tell us about the return eventually the abductors will return the abductees usually to the same location and circumstances they were in before being taken usually explicit memories of the abduction experience will not be present and the abductee will only realize they have experienced missing time upon checking a timepiece Sometimes the alleged abductors appear to make mistakes when returning their captives. UFO researcher Bud Hopkins has joked about the cosmic application of Murphy's Law in response to this observation. Hopkins has estimated that these errors accompany 4-5% of abduction reports. One type of common apparent mistake made by the abductors is failing to return the experiencer to the same spot that they were taken from initially. This can be as simple as a different room in the same house, or abductees can even find themselves outside and all the doors of the house locked from the inside. The one that I have read about a lot are people who mm-hmm. realize like they have four hours of missing time and also their shirts on backwards. <laughs> or like they have their shoes on, but their socks are like in a tree or something strange like that. Difficult to explain. 
Yeah. In, like their underwear is on the outside of their pants, something like that. <laughs> well, so much to say about that. But, yeah, I think it would be really scary to wake up outside of your house with all the doors locked. But, like, I always lock the door when I go out. So I think that could be a force of, of habit. And maybe some, some of these people are sleepwalking. And then they wake up and they're like, oh, shit. And then the door's locked. So I, I think that could explain some of it, but that would be pretty scary. Have you ever woken up in a weird place when you were sleepwalking? I don't think I sleepwalk anymore. Mm-hmm. As a little kid, apparently I would try to leave the house every once in a while. Just I, like wanting to go to the park or something like that. But no, I probably the weirdest place I've ever woken up was when I was a little kid. I I think I was, I hadn't put away all my clothes or something from mm-hmm. the laundry there was just like a big pile next to my bed and I at some point rolled off my bed and fell onto this pile and it was soft enough that I didn't wake up so I just woke up on the ground oh that's good stuff how about you? a couple times in the closet yeah I was trying to like get through my daughter's closet into my room one time Uh. so weird anyway realization event Physician and abduction researcher John G. Miller sees significance in the reason a person would come to see themselves as being a victim of the abduction phenomenon. He terms the insight or development leading to the shift in identity from non-abductee to abductee is the, quote, realization event. The realization event is often a single memorable experience, but Miller reports that not all abductees experience it as a distinct episode. Either way, the realization event can be thought of as the clinical horizon of the abduction experience. That's a cool name for like a late night radio show, right? Welcome to the abduction experience. Yeah. All right. Tell us about trauma and recovery. (laughs) I think of it more as being maybe like an escape room or something. Uh, Most people alleging alien abductions report invasive examinations of their bodies and some ascribe psychological trauma to their experiences. Post-abduction syndrome is a term used by abductees to describe the effects of abduction, though it is not recognized by any professional treatment organizations. People who have a false memory which makes them believe that they have been abducted by aliens develop symptoms like post-traumatic stress disorder, which you were talking about earlier. People who believe they have been abducted by aliens usually have previous New Age beliefs, a vivid fantasy life, and suffer from sleep paralysis, according to a 2003 study by Harvard University. Even if every abductee out there has New Age beliefs, it doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Now, it's basically completely dismissive, in my opinion. Support groups for people who believed they were abducted began appearing in the mid-1980s. These groups appear throughout the United States, Canada, and Australia. Many alien abductees recall much of their alleged abductions through hypnosis. Due to the extensive use of hypnosis and other methods which they view as being manipulative, skeptics explain the abduction narratives as false memories and suggestions. When you hear the Betty and Barney Hill hypnosis, it's kind of self-explanatory. It's, you know, if somebody is putting you under hypnosis, they can say things like, you know, remember your childhood. But I don't think that they make suggestions like, hey, 
Remember that time you were abducted by aliens? Yes. And they took you up to their ship? Yes. It's not how it works. So, I don't know. That seems dismissive, too. What do you think? Yeah. There's probably a lot of it that is suggestion. But. Well, I think it can be Probably a lot of it's not. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think that you can kind of. You can lead anybody. Mm-hmm. It's it's like in a court. Like, are yeah. you sure you saw this person do this? Like I think, you know, think about it. Did they do this? You did see mm-hmm. them do this. Yeah. You know, you can kind of lead somebody one way or another, but I think a lot of it's real. I mean, I agree. I mean, I've seen footage from you know regression sessions, and some of the ways that people react does not seem fake. Right. There are suggestive hypnosis sessions like, hey, you're going to quit smoking. Cigarettes are gross to you. You don't like, you know what I mean? You're not going to eat sweets, stuff like that. But I don't think that people are out there actively implanting false UFO abduction memories for shits and giggles. Criticism. Alleged abductees seek out hypnotherapists to try to resolve issues such as missing time or unexplained physical symptoms such as muscle pain or headaches. This usually involves two phases, an information gathering stage in which the hypnotherapist asks about unexplained illnesses or unusual phenomena during the patient's lives caused by or distortions of the alleged abduction, followed by hypnosis and guided imagery to facilitate recall. The information gathering enhances the likelihood that the events discussed will be incorporated into later abduction memories. Yeah, that doesn't doesn't seem right to me. I, I don't like guided imagery as a way to try and regain memories. But I'm not a hypnotherapist. Would you ever do a past life regression? I've thought about it before because I met somebody who does that around here. Mm-hmm. But... She was like four foot eleven, okay. And I'm like can't six, do three, that. Three hundred pounds, and it's like I if I freak out, oh, I could just smash her. Like, <laughs> like I I don't know. I I I've seen it really does worry me. Like I've seen people violently react to this stuff, hmm. and like people they'll have trouble calming them down or getting them back under control. And that was actually one of my things. It's like, if something happens and I, like, lose my shit, mm-hmm. like, this little tiny woman's not going to be able to do anything. I'm going to just rampage yeah. through her office. <laughs> so what you're saying is you want a big man to put you under hypnosis. I need... We need, we need backup. We need uh, your daughter's jujitsu teacher there. <laughs> right. When my dad uh, wakes up from anesthesia, he tries to fight a lot. Does he? Yeah. Old guy. Weird, huh? That is kind of weird. I like that, though. (laughs) I like that for him. (laughs) 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 Oh, man. I'm sorry. I'm just, like, imagining, like, my grandfather, like, coming out, like, waking up, and he just starts swinging. Throwing down. Old Irish guy. All right. Yeah. You got to, you know, move the scalpel before you wake him up. (laughs) Yeah. All right, tell us about the seven steps. A person is predisposed to accept the idea that certain puzzling or inexplicable experiences might be telltale signs of UFO abduction. 
The person seeks out a therapist whom he or she views as an authority and who is, at the very least, receptive to this explanation and has some prior familiarity with the UFO abduction reports. Alternatively, the therapist frames the puzzling experiences in terms of an abduction narrative. Alternative explanations of the experiences are not explored. There is increasing commitment to the abduction explanation and increasing anxiety reduction associated with ambiguity reduction. Yeah, totally. Let's pick that apart. Increasing... So I, w- I want to go back, uh, just to, you keep going, but I just want to mention that alternative explanations of the experiences are not explored. Yeah. That is not okay. That, uh, I mean, you know, you're a statistics guy. Wouldn't that just totally ruin the uh, credibility if, if you just don't give them any options? It had to be an alien abduction? Yeah. That's sad. Yeah. Yeah, and then this next sentence that was tripping me up. (laughs) Increasing commitment to the abduction explanation. Okay, so like you just said, like not exploring anything else. Mm -hmm. Increasing, increasing anxiety reduction. So I guess it makes the people feel less anxious because they're more certain that it is what they thought it was or want to think it is. If you can help somebody with PTSD, that's great, but I, I don't think that you want to implant an alien abduction memory or, you know, coerce one if you really want to help the person. Right, right. And it seems like it would be a lot better if the therapist, if they were trying to help them, would say, you know what, that was that was a terrible nightmare. You know, what really happened is, you know, ABC, something normal, like you know, you, you rolled out of bed, you hurt yourself, you woke up and it was a strange place or whatever. That would be more soothing, I would think, than to be like, no, no, you're right. You're right. Uh, they came to get you. Mm, they might be back. Who knows? <laughs> they come back a lot. So uh, they might be back. <laughs> put some cameras up. Let's get some, let's get some footage. I know a great podcast you can go on. Mm-hmm. All right. The therapist legitimizes or ratifies the abductee's experience, which constitutes additional positive reinforcement. The client adopts the role of the victim or abductee, which becomes integrated into the psychotherapy and the client's view of self. I guess there's people out there that specialize in this. I'm pretty sure that your therapist or your hypnotherapist is going to tell you if you have been abducted by aliens, hey, just so you know, this is going to be a lifelong relationship. You need to come at least once a month, probably for the rest of your life, or at least until I retire. And who knows, you know, maybe, oh, it's it's UFO abduction stuff, that's going to cost you a little extra. <laughs> maybe we should have done some research into that. All right, supportive arguments. Harvard psychiatrist John E. Mack counters this argument, noting it might be useful to restate that a large proportion of the material relating to abductions is recalled without the use of an altered state of consciousness. So he's saying that a lot of these are memories that are being recalled that are not, the person's not under hypnosis. So in... 
Many abduction reporters appear to relive powerful experiences after only the most minimal relaxation exercise, hardly justifying the word hypnosis at all. It kind of depends on where you stand. I mean, if he's saying that it's not really hypnosis, I guess I'll take his word for it. I mean, I don't know. He's a Harvard psychiatrist, so you think he would know, right? You would think so. <laughs> the relaxation exercise is useful to relieve the experiencer's need to attend to the social demands and other stimuli of face-to-face -face conversation and to relive the energies involved in repressing memories and emotion. So it sounds like it's a split group on hypnosis. I, I think that the it almost has to be taken on a case-by-case -case basis, and we would have to listen to the hypnosis to kind of say whether it was implanted or guided or not. Mm. What about yeah. the perspectives? There have been a variety of explanations offered for abduction phenomena, ranging from sharply skeptical appraisals to uncritical acceptance of all abductee claims, to the demonological, to everything in between. Some have elected not to attempt explanations, noting instead similarities to other phenomena, or simply documenting the development of the alien abduction phenomena. Others are intrigued by the entire phenomena but hesitate in making any definitive conclusions. Psychiatrist John Mack that we keep talking about concluded, The furthest you can go at this point is to say there's an authentic mystery here, and that is, I think, as far as anyone ought to go. Mack was unconvinced by piecemeal counterclaims, however, and countered that skeptical explanations naturally need to take into account the entire range of phenomena associated with abduction experiences, up to and including missing time, directly contemporaneous UFO sightings, and the occurrence in small children. Putting aside the question of whether abduction reports are literally and objectively real, Literature professor Terry Matheson argues that their popularity and their intriguing appeal are easily understood. Tales of abduction are intrinsically absorbing. It is hard to imagine a more vivid description of human powerlessness. After experiencing the tremor of delightful terror one may feel from reading ghost stories or watching horror movies, Matheson notes that people can return to the safe world of their homes, secure in the knowledge that the phenomena in question cannot follow. But as the abduction myth has stated, almost from the outset, there is no avoiding alien abductors. Matheson writes that when compared to the earlier contactee reports, abduction accounts are distinguished by their relative sophistication and subtlety, which enabled them to enjoy an immediately more favorable reception from the public. Some writers have said abduction experiences bear similarities to pre-20th century accounts of demonic manifestations, noting as many as a dozen similarities. One notable example is the Orthodox monk Father Seraphim Rose, who devotes a whole chapter in his book, Orthodoxy and the Religion of the Future, to the phenomena of UFOs and abductions, which he concludes are manifestations of the demonic. As some studies suggest that in some UFO alien encounters, these phenomena could be related to disassociative REM sleep states like lucid dreams, sleep paralysis, and out-of-body experiences. In a 2021 study published in the International Journal of Dream Research, researchers focused on the hypothesis that if some alien abduction stories are the products of REM sleep, then they could be deliberately emulated by lucid dreaming practitioners. Pretty cool. To check the hypothesis, they instructed a group of volunteers to try to emulate alien encounters via lucid dreams. Of the volunteers, 75% were able to experience alien encounters. 
Regarding the successful cases, 20% were close to reality in terms of the absence of paradoxical dreamlike events. And only among this 20% sleep paralysis and fear were observed, which are common in real stories. In theory, random people might spontaneously encounter the same situation during REM sleep and confuse the events with reality. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Uh, you can't say it's not true. I mean, it could be. As you were going over that, I was thinking about, you know, the demonic, where demons want you to believe that there's aliens, right? And then we look back in time, and there's not alien abductions, you know, in the 1500s, and the 1200s. But you know what there is? Demonic interaction. Maybe they're telling their abduction story in terms of demons because that's what they know or that's what they learn from their religion. Yeah, like a common point of reference. Mm -hmm. So we don't know that there's not abductions that have taken place, you know, in ancient history. Let's talk testimonials. Abduction researcher Brian Thompson claims that a nurse reported to him in 1957 in Cincinnati that she encountered a three-foot-tall praying mantis-like entity two days after a V-shaped UFO sighting. And when we're talking the V-shaped UFOs, I think we're generally talking like the stealth blimps, right? Mm, yeah. The mantis-like creature is reminiscent of the insectoid-type entity reported in some abduction accounts. He related this report to fellow researcher Leonard Stringfield. Stringfield told him of two cases he had in his files where separate witnesses reported identical circumstances in the same place and year. While some corroborated accounts seem to support the literal reality of abduction experience, Others seem to support a psychological explanation for the phenomenon's origins. Jenny Randalls and Keith Basterfield both noted in the 1992 MIT Alien Abduction Conference that of the five cases they knew of where an abduction researcher was present at the onset of an abduction experience, the experiencer, quote, didn't physically go anywhere, end quote. What do you think about that one? I buy that. Mm. I've heard I've heard things like that before that you know people experience being taken away somewhere but their body was just kind of in like a catatonic state. Yeah, I think those are definitely explanations for some, but it only takes one, right? Only one of them has to be authentic and real for the existence of aliens to be a reality. Sure. Boom. All right. Tell us about Brazilian, <laughs> Brazilian researcher. researcher Gilda Mora, who reported on a similar case, the Sully case, from her home country. When psychologist and UFO researcher Don Donderi, which is, sounds like a Marvel Comics name, said that these cases were evidence of psychological processes that did not have anything to do with a physical alien abduction. Mora replied, If the Sully case is not an abduction, I don't know what an abduction is anymore. Gilda noted that in the Brazilian Sully case, during the abduction, UFOs were observed. Later, she claimed the experiencer had eye burns, saw lights, and there seemed to be residual poltergeist activity. That's interesting. Yeah. These entities could theoretically travel outside their bodies, too. I mean, you would think that they would be 
much more advanced. And I don't know, perhaps the future is less about like psychic phenomenon and stuff like that. And we're losing our abilities. I feel like we're getting away from things that we can actually do and just relying on technology for everything. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually really interested in like technological minimalism Mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, just paring things down. You know, don't use four monitors, use one. Try to minimize your use of the computer. Try to use a flip phone, like the one I have right here that I use for work purposes. You know, don't use a smartphone all the time. (laughs) I I use this phone for work, and I love it. It's a Nokia 2780 or whatever their new flip phone is. Mm. And it's cheap. The call quality is actually great. The battery lasts forever. This thing's been sitting on my desk for like four days without being charged, and it's at maybe half battery. And I'm not constantly bothered by like Google News updates or Papa John's app telling me that there's some coupon out there. It's it's really nice. And one of the things that people talk about, like those are the things that make me interested in it, but a lot of people talk about how when they stop using, in particular, it seems like it's smartphones and tablets. Mm-hmm. Like they their memory improves like their Mm. sense of direction seems to get better like they need to remember phone numbers and stuff like that and physically dial them on something other than a smartphone Mm -hmm. you know at least the first time they need to you know maybe you can get some limited maps on your flip phone or whatever you've got or you can print out map quest stuff but like you need to kind of know where you're at yeah and they just talk about how their mental processes get a lot better their attention span gets better because you're right we we definitely seem to outsource some of our mental faculties to our technology. Absolutely. You know, why remember something when I can pull out my, you know, my at my Samsung S23 Ultra and pull the little pen out and make a note, and then that's synced to the cloud, and I can look it up from anywhere, and you know what I mean? And now you have zero knowledge. You have yeah. to have lots of... And I'm not saying I'm any smarter than the next guy, probably dumber, but you have to have a certain amount of knowledge that like kind of webs together to form wisdom, right? You can't just have wisdom without acquiring knowledge. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. And and if everything you do, uh, all your memories and everything are stored on your phone, you're going to have a hard time thinking for yourself. Or through a screen. I mean... Right, yeah. I don't know. I feel like I've never read, oh, my inspiration for this invention or whatever came to me while I was browsing TikTok. Mm-hmm. It's like I was in the bath or I was just sitting on the porch or I was waiting in a... You know, I was waiting for my, my girlfriend or boyfriend outside of, like, the fitting rooms at the mall. Yeah, driving, listening to music. Yeah, it's where you kind of allow your mind to wander. And if you're constantly kind of assaulting yourself with stimulus. You don't get a chance, in my opinion, to come up with some really creative stuff. I agree, 100%. I I probably just sound like an old man. (laughs) Get off my lawn! I'll be at an intersection and every car I can see, where I can see the person driving, they're using Mm. their phone. Mm. They're like playing with their phone. Yeah. Or I'll go to lunch or dinner with friends and it's like I'm the only one that doesn't have my phone out. Yeah, it's disheartening. 
I mean, I'm I'm wearing a pretty weird thing right now, an analog <laughs> watch. Oh yeah. <clears throat> One, I think an analog watch looks better than a smartwatch. For it sure. It doesn't annoy me like a smartwatch, and I actually do tend to be more punctual when I can just glance down at my wrist, <laughs> as opposed to like taking out my phone and then looking at the time and then being like, oh look at that, an email. Oh, and a, and a text. Right. Yeah. Oh, let me check out Reddit and see what's new and. But the one I'd like to wear is this one, this cheap one, because Kim bought it for me as a joke when I kept being late to stuff. <laughs> she just went out and got me this cheap watch. She was like, here, wear Does it. Does she hate it now? Oh, she wants you to wear it. I thought you were just doing it as a, like a backhand. <laughs> like, you got me this stupid watch. You're going to be seen with me in it. <laughs> no, I wear it because I like that story. It was just funny to me. That's cool. It has been argued that if actual flesh and blood aliens are abducting humans, there should be some hard evidence that this is occurring. And yes, I said hard that way for you, for your benefit. Rock hard. (laughs) Proponents of the physical reality of the abduction experience have suggested ways that could conceivably confirm abduction reports. One procedure reported occurring during the alleged examination phase of the experience is the insertion of a long needle-like contraption into a woman's navel. Some have speculated that this could be a form of laparoscopy. If this is true, after the abduction, there should be free gas in the female's abdomen, which could be seen on an X-ray image. The presence of free gas would be extremely abnormal and would help substantiate the claim of some sort of procedure being done to her. I mean, it would eventually dissipate, right? I mean, it would find its way out. And how many of these abductees are, like, going to get an x-ray right afterwards, right? That kind of seems silly. Right. We agree, I think, that at least some are authentic claims. People that have been physically abducted and brought to a spaceship. Am I right? Mm Mm-hmm. And then some are hoaxes. Some are something that happens to you in your sleep whether it's lucid dreaming you know night terrors whatever like i said only one has to be real for it to be real got any other final thoughts not really i'm very much into alien abductions i'm on board i feel like i feel like there's a lot that are just bs out there there's a lot of people writing you know books on amazon about their experiences and they're just really out there but there are there are so many that seem just so strange, like things that I I just can't imagine making up. Mm-hmm. And I know, like, Bill Burr has this joke where they're talking about, what was it? It was like, believe women or whatever, like the whole Me Too thing. Mm-hmm. And, like, they would tell these details. And it's like, you can't make that up. And he was like, really? What about, like, Star Wars? Somebody made that up. Right. You, know, just, you can make up a fantastical story if you're trying to for whatever your purpose is, but... And I, what I mean, though, is that the details are just so odd and random. You know, mm-hmm. the like odd characteristics to the voices that are very similar. You know, the char- physical characteristics, like one being significantly taller than the others. Mm-hmm. You know, and lots of people reporting that same thing. And, a, and right. a lot of these experiences were happening before there was any real easy way to get this information to other people. I mean, your best bet for communicating would be like a ham radio (laughs) or some kind of group in your area or like 
you know, if you had an IBM PC Junior or whatever, and there was like a BBS somewhere that you could dial into, it's just, it wasn't the easiest thing to get that information around and try to like coordinate your story across a lot of, a lot of people. So these little points kind of stick out to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And, and I think as far as, you know, Buddy and Barney Hill, which we're going to talk about here in the after party, which will be out Thursday, they don't report, you know, reading books about this. Now, I think it would be harder to get the details. I agree with you on that. And I also think that, you know, maybe if they got a book deal or a movie deal or whatever, but I don't think that there was enough ways to make income off of something like this, you know, back in the 50s. You know, now someone could have a podcast where they tell all their stories. They could have, you know, a YouTube channel, whatever, and kind of make a profit off it. But back then it was just, I, I mean, really in the 50s, it was more just a uh, a book deal that could net you some money, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Book deal or some kind of... I guess maybe speaking engagements. Yeah, maybe. Um, but it's not like there were paranormal conferences all around the country every weekend back then. There probably are now, but... Yeah, and there's no, like, Dr. Phil back then to go on to or some kind of national syndication. All right, so we agree. Some are real, some are not, but it only takes one. Ryan, tell them what they need to know. Yeah, please, as always, share us on social media. Tell your friends, family, enemies, coworkers, whoever about us. <laughs> if you like <laughs> us, if you don't like us. All that sort of thing. Let us know. Email us. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter and now on TikTok at cryptique underscore podcast and YouTube at cryptique podcast. And check out the Parabox t-shirt link in the show notes. Don't forget to check out the Betty and Barney Hill abduction on the after party on Thursday. Good evening, Crypt Keepers. 